Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We're going to go to two scriptures, Malachi chapter 4. So go ahead, take your devices, your Bibles, and turn to Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. The last chapter. The last few verses. As a matter of fact, when you read Malachi, understand that after those words were spoken, Malachi gave this prophecy. 400 years of biblical science. And the next event that takes place is Christmas. So I'm not doing it because of that, because we're about to come into Christmas and we're going to talk on Christmas a little bit more. But the, the emphasis is not lost that these verses are, you know, if you try, you know how it is when you're trying to say something and you spend a lot of time saying it, sometimes you just need to sum it up in the last few words. Because you go on words and words, and it's kind of like you're wondering, well, what was actually being said? You just give a summation at the very end. I really think this is a lot of summation right here. Malachi does a summation, but these final words are very significant. I don't think any less significant than the rest of the Bible, but they are very significant. Then the other scripture, if you have a device, it won't help. But if you have a Bible, you can, you have, you can go to two passages at the same time. You can go to 1 Corinthians 4. So both are chapter 4, Malachi 4, 1 Corinthians 4. We're going to slide from one to the other, and let's pick it up. Malachi, we're going to read verse 5. See, I will send you a prophet, Elijah, before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Elijah, there he is. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with the curse. Another translation reading earlier. He will turn the hearts of the parents from the hearts of the parents, hearts of the parents to the children, hearts of the children to the parents or else I will give the land, strike the land with the curse. I want you to note the part hearts of the father to the children, hearts of the children to the father. Note that part. We're going to come back. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we pick it up in verse 14. The Apostle Paul is addressing this, and he says, I am not writing this to shame you. In other words, don't cower, don't, don't, don't take it as a shaming. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you. Here's a warning. As my dear children, as I would warn children, 15, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. So, Father in heaven, we just ask that you would help us to understand this. Help it to go indeed into our heads. Help it to flow into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to uh, begin by just maybe telling a little bit of, of how this flows out of my own story, and it's all of our story, my story. 
We're talking here of fathers, and, when, and I just want to set the precedent here. When I mention fathers, I'm not just referring to dads or male people. I'm referring to, and, and the title of my message is Spiritual Moms and Dads. I'm referring, when I say fathers, I'm referring to uh, mom, dad. It's, it's not gender exclusive here, fathers. So every time, if I say father, the Bible says father. Just as I pray to my heavenly father, I don't have to also pray to my heavenly mother. Okay, we don't have to do that. So likewise, when we make reference here, it's that, that leader, that father who begets. It's that influence who begets. So just clear that up in case, because I'm going to interchange it throughout, just for clarity's sake. I want you to think for a moment of your, your dads, maybe your moms. Uh, my father, I'm thinking of my father, and my father, uh, I was blessed to have loving mom and dad. Christian mom and dad. Both parents were actively followers of Jesus, not just in creed, but in life. They were both involved in the local church uh, in multiple areas of service as volunteers. I was blessed by that. I learned a lot of godly character from my dad. But I was also very much estranged from my father as a young man. I was the only son. My sisters seemed to develop, and they initiated relationship with dad. I didn't. I um, was fairly independent and was fairly independently driven. So I did not initiate it. It's probably I pushed back against any demonstration of love. I look at that now. At the time, I didn't really understand it. I don't think my father really understood what to do with that. So there was an estrangement between myself and my father. We, uh, we didn't have conversations. We didn't talk and listen to each other. We were a father-son and uh, wasn't hostile by any, any stretch of the imagination, but it certainly wasn't warm and friendly. And I never really came to terms with it until... One of my siblings challenged me when I was in my mid-twenties. I was 27 years old. I was already uh, pastoring at that time, had been pastoring, already had um, uh, both my children at the time this was taking place. My second had just been born. And I think when my son was born, it was causing me to reflect. He had just been born. And it was causing me to really work through a son-father relationship because I didn't feel I had one. And now I have a son, newly born son. And I wasn't sure what to do with that. So I was 27 years old, and I came to an awareness. My sister was challenging me on this. She basically was saying, my oldest sister, uh, who in many ways nurtured me as a child. She was quite a bit older. Nurtured me as a child. She encouraged me to, to take some steps to try to fix this. And that she would talk to my father so he would take some steps to fix a problem of relationship. Uh, and I was in a lot of turmoil, and here's what happened. My dad took sick right at that time and died one month later. We never had a chance to work through it. Now, I regret that. Uh, something I can't wind the clock back on. I can't change it. But I've come to appreciate that in my life, I, he died before I felt he ever really gave me the blessing I needed from dad the approval I needed from dad. 
the sense of where I fit in. I never got that. Now, I would discover, and God was gracious with putting the people in my life following that, but at the time, it didn't happen. Now, some of you are relating, and the reason I tell the story is that you think of your story. All kinds of stories here. Stories, to be honest, I'd, I'd, I would be interested because I find these stories really, even in the talking and telling of them, help us to begin to help, begin to line up some pieces of our story. With your dad, it might be with your mother. It might be the absence of one of the two, or maybe both. So we come to this story here, and there is a, the last word of the Old Testament leads into the trajectory of the New Testament, which you and I are living. That there needs to be the spirit of Elijah. Now, Elijah, he was actually a person who really lived. He was a prophet, and he was known for the miraculous. He was known to be a strong voice of God, but something else he was known for, he was known to be a great, a great spiritual father, probably one of the best you will see in the Old Testament. I actually have put series together around Elijah and around Elisha that I've not shared with you. Maybe one day we'll go into the series because I've just taken the persons and I've studied everything about them because in my pursuit, and I did this not long after my own journey, trying to understand what is the spirit of Elijah, the spiritual mom and the spiritual dad. Is it really that important or is it just another teaching, just one more teaching? What does it mean to have the love of the Father? What does it mean to have the blessing of a father? What does it mean to have uh, the, the spiritual heritage passed down? Is it that important? Now, when I was a kid and younger, I didn't hear conversations or teachings on this. But a lot, the blessing of a father. Again, I'm, I'm not being just gender inclusive on in that. So, here we have Elijah. And Elijah was undeniably a great spiritual father. He raised up Elisha, who, I mean, he, again, I, you, those who've traveled and tracked with me know he's my guy. Elisha, I, I admire Elisha because Elisha is an example of somebody who gave it his everything to serve God. He held nothing back. And he's my hero in many ways. He's my hero of the faith. He's one of the guys I really, really look forward to when I get to heaven, I want to really look up Elisha. Um, he's one of those. And I don't know how all that works, to be honest with you, but if there is that opportunity, we're going to have some appointments and we're going to have a chat, a few conversations. I want to be a friend of Elisha. Here you have the last words of the Old Testament saying that uh, you have will send you the prophet. So it wasn't the man, Elijah. It was that there would be a ministry, the prophetic ministry of Elijah. It would be a prophetic ministry. There would be a supernatural coming together of the hearts of dads. It starts with the fathers, the spiritual moms and dads. starts there. But it doesn't stop there. It's the hearts of the children pulled this way. So you have two things coming together. The hearts of the parents, mom, dad, the spiritual mom and dad, spiritual and it's not biological, although biological is true, it's also spiritual. They would come and they would join, not simply in relationship because, well, you're my son, you're my dad. It would be because something deeper in the heart connects. Again, I was 
a son of my dad, biological. You do a, a gene test and I am linked to my father. I know my dad. I can tell you a lot about my father. But we never really shared our hearts. Our hearts remained disconnected. This is where the thrust of this is. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we read where the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I am writing this to shame you, verse 14. Dear children, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ I became your father through the gospel. Imitate me. Um, let's start with Jesus. Jesus is our example. Remember the story in Mark chapter 1, verse 10. I'm going to read it here. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, a spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. The four words. Would you say these four words with me? You are my son. Everybody say it together. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus' passage to ministry happened only after. It happened only after his father said, you are my son. The release of Jesus had to be released from the father. At this point, not before, at this point Jesus moves into ministry with the miraculous. He's released to be all he was meant to accomplish. It came on the heels of that moment of coming out of the waters. You are my son, in whom I'm well, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And this is the passageway into ministry. In other words, his supernatural birth of the manger and being kept from Herod and all the things we know and recognize in this Christmas season. All the giftings that Jesus had, and he was laden with all the gifts of heaven. With his talent, his abilities, the preparation, everything that went into Jesus meant very little until the Father voiced his approval. Until the Father approved and released. Never came to pass. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 4 helps us on this a little bit. And it says here, no one takes this honor upon himself. You can't work it up. You can't try harder to get it. It says no one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron, Aaron was the high priest, was. Verse 5, so Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. Now was he his father before? Yes. What happened there that day? I release you. Father, the blessing over the son, the blessing over the child. Jesus, having come from the Heavenly Father, did not simply take it. He had to have it spoken, given to him. Now, remember the Malachi prophecy? I will turn the hearts of the Father to the children. I will turn the hearts of the children. We're trying to understand this now. We're trying to understand this. It's, it's not meant to be a mystery that we don't get. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I'll explain it to you. Very simply. We need to understand that. So let's think for a moment here this morning as I ask the question, how many of you here today know personally people who've made a confession of their faith to the Lord Jesus Christ? 
If you were to ask them, are you a follower of Jesus, they would say yes. And there's no reason to argue that with them. There's no reason to disbelieve that. You believe it's genuine. But they have wandered from the faith. But they have not lived out their faith. At best, they are anemic Christians. You see no fruit coming out of their lives. No fruit of another generation. No fruit of righteousness. You do not see them involved in helping others in the faith. You don't see them making an impact in society for the faith. In many ways, it just looks like they're lost. In many ways, if not even lost, it looks like, well, they're not doing anything. And sometimes I think the greatest danger is not to be a cold Christian... The greatest danger is to be a what? Lukewarm Christian. Just to be lukewarm. To be neither hot nor cold. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said it's not the cold because cold is obviously cold. But it's where you think you're hot. But you're really not. It's where you were once hot but you've cooled off. And you're really accomplishing nothing. You're going about but there's no accomplishment for kingdom purposes. How many of us know people who have made a confession but are very lost in their lives, misguided, they live purposeless, they seem to be going nowhere in their faith, they're here, they're there, they're not involved, they're uninvolved, they're filled with apathy, they're, and yet if you talk they believe all is good and well. Maybe I need to ask the question, maybe how many here today, this morning, maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. You've made a faith. You've made a confession in faith. But you identify with that. You're going, forget knowing somebody. That's me. I know me. If I, the truth be told, I'm not going very far in my faith. I haven't excelled. I haven't, when I look back and I begin to look at earmarks of the journey, I'm not making much difference in the kingdom. It's not happening. Maybe feeling a wandering in purpose. Not sure what your purpose is. Waiting for that great break. Waiting for, waiting for maybe that great moment. You feel ineffective in your home. You feel ineffective as a man or a woman. You feel ineffective. You, you feel like you don't fit in. Don't respond with your hands, but how many here don't feel you fit in? Don't, don't respond. But in your heart, I don't feel I fit in. At one time, you thought you were destined for greatness. At one time, you thought you knew the trajectory to get there. But now, it, years have gone by and it's not happening. It's not being realized. You feel listless, lost. But let me, talk, let me encourage you in our opening text, there's a promise. God says, I will turn, I will turn. By the power of the spirit of Elijah, I will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. That's what he spoke in Malachi chapter 4. And Paul identifies this and begins to explain this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me go to Paul's explanation of this. Paul begins to put meat on this. So we begin to understand what is a spiritual dad? What is a spiritual mom? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's go back to that again. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 15. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Okay, there's the text. Let me just look at that. Look at this text. Even though you have 10,000 guardians, you have not many spiritual fathers. Now Paul equated himself as a spiritual father. But Paul knew what it was to be a guardian. Before Paul came into the gospel, and he even said that, he said, I became that in the gospel. 
So when the good news changed my life, I went from a guardian to a father. Strategically, a guardian to a father. And so he begins to define this. Paul knew he was called to be a spiritual father to the church, to people, just to others. And let me suggest, if you have no spiritual dad, let me, let's just use this in the physical. If you have no mom and no father, and I, I dare say in a group this size, some of us grew up without a mom, some of us grew up without a dad. And we know, we know, that, we know the stories. These are just common knowledge. If you don't have a dad or a mom, often we struggle with, with our heritage. We struggle with our inheritance. We struggle with who we are. There's a struggle that comes out of that. We see that in, a, in, in, too, many, in too many ways that what families without that look like. And often in the church, we don't, we don't have spiritual dads and we don't have spiritual moms. We don't have spiritual sons and we don't have spiritual daughters. And the model, listen, the model that the church has often taken has been a business model in discipling the next generation. A business model. It's been a management model in discipling the next generation. We use management methods, organizational methods, and they have their place, but they were never meant to bring up the next church generation. And churches have modeled those, and they've missed the model of Malachi, which said in the last days, you've got to do this or you will remain under the curse. What's the curse? You will not know your identity. You will not live out fruitfulness. Now, we don't have to take a hard look around. We see that, okay, that's happening. At least I believe it. We're happening. Losing grounds. So where's the next generation following their inheritance? Could it be we've ignored Malachi chapter 4? Malachi chapter 4, spiritual moms and dads. Spiritual sons and daughters. So if we get that back into place, maybe we could start reversing this. Because he said there would be a blessing and not the curse. If we reverse this. So Paul identifies the root of the problem. Here it is. He says you have 10,000 guardians in Christ. That's the root. 10,000 guardians. In place of a spiritual mom and dad. He says you have a lack of mature mothers and father influencers in the faith. Instead of having spiritual moms. Instead of having spiritual dads. You have instructors. Now the word where it says 10,000 guardians is translated instructors. You have 10,000. That's not the number 10,000. He says you have many instructors. The word instructors in the original language means this. Boy leaders. So Paul is saying you have all kinds of boy leaders. And of course he's talking primarily at the time to male guys. But he says you have leaders. You have instructors. The term was used to refer to a servant whose official position was to make sure the children went to school. So thus, moms and dads substituted with hired servants and nannies. Moms and dads substituted with hired servants and nannies. And hired servants and nannies have their place. But they can never replace mom and dad. A hired servant will get you ready, get your clothes on, and send you to school. Then their job is done. They're hired after all. They're called hirelings. They're hired to do that job. 
A nanny will maybe prepare the meal. They will make sure that you are tended to and you get off to bed at the right time. But they have no vested interest in the longevity of your life. They have no vested interest in your inheritance. They have no vested interest in the long-term development of your character. How many moms and dads, and if you're here and you're a mom and dad, you get this. We say we will lay our lives down for our children. Now that doesn't just mean that you will push them out of the way of a moving bus and take the hit for them. That doesn't just mean that. It means that you are prepared to sacrifice what your life is so that their life will be better. You'll do whatever it takes to do that. And typically it's not just that they make more money, but it's that they are more successful. It's that they are better moms. They're better dads. It's that they have better uh, they produce better, they're more fruitful in their life, they're happier, they're more joy-filled. The things that, that are blessings in their life, your desire is they do better than you. I think if I was to ask you here, if you're a mom and a dad, that's your desire for your children, all of our hands would go up. Because it is. That's where we are invested in the inheritance of our children. A hireling can't do that. A hireling won't do that. Paul was saying, you've got all kinds of instructors in your life. People who will teach you for the moment. But you don't need more of them. You need a mom. And you need a dad. You need a spiritual mom. You need a spiritual dad. And Paul says, that's what I've become to you. He wasn't that at first. He used to be one of those instructors. Until the gospel changed him. And now he's invested in their lives to the end. And he would lay his life down to the end for them. He's not just giving a teaching. He's not giving a devotional. He's not giving some mental knowledge. He's giving of his life. He's imparting him to them and them back to him. And if you follow Paul's life, read through his writings. Read again through the book of Acts where Luke wrote of the work of Paul in the latter part of the book of Acts. And you will see how he fleshed this one out. You will see when he visits, he just didn't hit and run. He was with them, and then he stayed with them, and he spent time with them. And then he wrote letters back to them. And then he invested, and he listened, and he gave himself over to them. And then he came back again, and he spent more time with them. And then he came back, and he lamented over and over, I wish I could come to you, but I happen to be in jail right now. <laughs> yeah. And so I send you a letter. And a lot of his stuff is letters out of the jail. What's he doing? Spiritual fatherhood. He says, you've got, you've got instructors, you've got hirelings in your life, you've got people. If you come and all you ever do is you come to a teaching and you never invest beyond the teaching. If you come to, simp- I'm going to say this, if you come simply to Sunday morning and you never move beyond Sunday morning, all you've got are instructors. If you watch TV and you see this great evangelist, that great evangelist, this great church, that great church, and that's all your engagement is, all you've got is what Paul spoke of here. You've got an instructor, but you've not got a dad. You've not got a mom. Here's the problem. You will not develop into a spiritual dad and mom. And there will be anemic Christianity flow out of that, losing generation after generation after generation. Unless the hearts of the fathers are turned to the hearts of the children and the hearts of the children back to the hearts of the fathers, The curse remains. The curse remains. Is this starting to make sense? The curse remains. And so he's calling them. He's calling them on this. He's he's saying the root of the problem here is the hearts. 
So let's go back to Jesus. We see that Jesus, he rose up in the ministry where uh, Jesus was baptized and the father spoke to him and says, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. And he released him. And the passageway to Jesus' ministry started that day with the blessing of the heavenly father. But we can back it up. Let's go to Jesus, age 12. Jesus, age 12. It's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 46. Let's read this. After three days, they found Jesus in the temple courts. That's his mom and dad. Sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed and at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus responds, 49, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them because this was an unusual thing in their day. Verse 51, then he went down to Nazareth with him. He submitted, was obedient to them. But his mother treasured these in her heart. She knew this was bigger than her understanding of the moment. Verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now let's go back 46. I want you to note Jesus here in 46. He's sitting among the religious teachers. Now slow it down. We're going we're gonna to slide back, slip it into first. We're going to go through this one slowly. Jesus is our example. He's the ultimate example. Let's look at that. 46. They found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So here you have in 46, you're understanding the, the heart of a spiritual son. You're watching Jesus sitting among the... He lost time. His parents had gone on. 24 hours had passed. You know, I wonder where he slept that night. We were not told. But when the parents get back to find Jesus in Jerusalem, there he is in the temple among the religious leaders, the teachers, and the Bible. First thing says he's listening to them. He's listening. He's listening. He's listening. He's getting information. He's listening He's taking, and what would they be teaching? They would be teaching the Torah. They would be teaching the first five books of the Moses' laws. That's what they were. They were teaching the Torah, teaching the Torah, teaching the Torah. And Jesus was there. He was listening. Note the next part. And asking questions. I search that up. Asking questions. You know, what does this mean? What does that mean? It was more than that. He was getting clarification for what was being said. He was beginning to join the dots of what should be and what was. He was looking at, here's the teachings. And you see, many in Jesus' day were quite content just to have the teachings. But Jesus wasn't. He's 12 years old. He was like, okay, if they say this, then why is this happening? Questions. And he was confounding them. Because it's a whole lot easier to have a bunch of concepts without relating it to, well, how come we're not doing that? <laughs> Right? How come we're actually not doing it? You know, when Jesus went and he was later in life, he called his disciples. He said, come after me and I will make you converts. No, I will make you disciples. It wasn't that you said a prayer. It was that you joined a movement. It was a movement of the heart of the father to the children, the children to the father. It was discipling. It was the involvement on a regular daily basis. It's beyond just some teachings. 
just some teachings. And I believe it's a huge misunderstanding and a miscalculation when we believe that we are being discipled and we are effective in the kingdom because we are learning more and more knowledge. If that knowledge does not move into action of kingdom building of lives of other people, we have deceived ourselves. And the enemy of our soul is quite happy for you to have all the knowledge of the world. If you can keep it from being assimilated into life. That's why in the New Testament it says, you can't just be hearers of the word, but you need to be what? It actually has to flow out. And that flows out of the heart of the Father to the children, the heart of the children to the Father. So here you have Jesus. He's listening, and then he's clarifying questions. He's joining the dots in this. He's asking some big questions. And what was the response of the teachers? Jesus was unusual. All who heard him were amazed, it said. What were they amazed at? At his understanding and his answers. He wasn't just asking questions. He was giving some conclusions. Conclusions that they hadn't come up with. He's 12 years old. Conclusions they weren't drawing. They were content. They had learned to live content with information. They had learned to live content with being instructors and boy guardians. Without having spiritual dads and moms. And Jesus was breaking the mold right here. Because he's fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi 4. They were amazed at his answers and understanding. So I searched understanding (laughs) so I could understand it. Do you want to understand understanding? Here it is. Here's the word understanding. They were amazed at his understanding. Understanding literally means putting together. Here it is a number of definitions. Understanding, putting it together, quick to apprehend, intelligently assessing the situation, Ability to put two and two together. So let's put all that together. He was putting things together, apprehending it, assessing the situation, putting two and two together. That's what understanding, that's what they were amazed at. New Testament word for understanding comes from two Greek words. Pronosius means judges and synesis means discerning on all sides. So he was judging and discerning the whole. So let's put it all together. He was putting together, apprehending, assessing the situation, putting two and two together, judging and discerning from all sides. No wonder they were amazed. (laughs) They were amazed. You see, Jesus did not accept the status quo. See, the other boys that were at the temple all went home with the group. But Jesus knew it took more than that. He stayed. And, of course, mom and dad panicked. And when they came back and said, son, you you caused us a heart attack. Jesus answered, watch his answer. Didn't you know I had to be in the temple? Not what he said. Didn't you know I had to learn more? Didn't you know I wanted more teaching? Note his answer. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? My father. Spiritual dad. I had to be in my father's house. As a young boy, Jesus submitted himself to his spiritual fatherhood and grew through listening, active conversation, engagement, putting things together, apprehending all things, discerning life's choices. Then, as a young man, where we read earlier, 
when he went into the waters of baptism, his spiritual father said, you are my true son. Release blessing into his life. And then Jesus later, as a spiritual father, would disciple the next generation to change the world. What a great story. Secondly, so what's the results? What's the results if we don't do this? What's the results of a motherless and fatherless generation? Two things, oppression and an unhealthy pursuit of destiny. First of all, oppression. Isaiah 3, 5. People will oppress each other, man against man, neighbor against neighbor. The young will rise up against the old, the base against the honorable. And we know this in our families today, in our biological families. A family without a dad, a family without a mom, struggles financially under financial oppression. A family without a dad or a mom will struggle under social oppression, psychological oppression, spiritual oppression. We see it played out over and over in our society here. The pressure on single parent families is oppressive. When a parent is not present, when a parent is not there to work and nurture and build in the family, there's struggle, the family struggles, the hearts of the children. In Ephesians, Paul predicts this. In Ephesians, he speaks to it. And he says in Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, he says, the children will frequently turn to rage. When there's not true spirit, true mom and dad in a, in a family, often the children become angry. And we know that they can have an actual biological mom and a biological dad in their own, and this begin because there's a lack of the spiritual mom and dad. They will turn to rage and they will turn to dishonoring of authority. We don't have to look far to see the problem. They dishonor authority. Oppression is a result of a fatherless generation. But secondly, I want to suggest that a spiritual fatherless generation brings an unhealthy pursuit of any identity. We pick it up in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 6. A man will seize one of his brothers at his father's home and say, you have a cloak, you be my leader. You have a cloak, you be my dad. Take charge of this heap of ruins, this home. But in that day he will cry out, I have no remedy, I have no food or clothing in my house. Do not make me the leader of this people. Chapter 4, verse 1. In that day, seven women will take a hold of one man and say, we will eat our own food and, and provide our own clothes, but only let us, please, it's a begging, let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. What was happening, the Israelites were grabbing a hold of anybody they thought looked good enough to be their dad. If we do not raise up spiritual moms and dads to become spiritual moms and dads to gain the hearts of our children, they will find someone, and they are finding someone. And they will go to the person. They will go to a peer. They will go to a brother. They will go to a, an idol. Will you be my dad? And they will begin to emulate after that particular person their lives after that person because they lack a spiritual mom dad they will go after whoever's closest that's why gangs continue to flourish typically preying on those who do not have an identity in a family so the gang becomes a group identity what's your identity in the group i now have an identity and gangs flourish 
under granting an identity. What will happen? There will be a lack and you will pursue false identity. We will chase down somebody. We'll chase down somebody um, we look up to. Somebody wearing the right clothes, it says. They wear the right clothes. They look really cool. They wear the right clothes. They wear the hair. They do. They, they act just in a certain way. Will you be my father? We chase after them. We look up in media. We find people on television. We listen to music. Will you be my dad? Now, those persons might not have any fluent, any, they might not even know you exist. But the kids are trying to act like them. I saw this in my own family, trying to act like somebody they were wanting to just be like, just, just like them. Because there was a void, there was a gap. And so they will take on those, they will grab. Will you give me an identity? Can I come in under you? And typically they are not the ones you want to be their fathers and mothers. Because at best, they will ever only ever be a boy instructor. At best. They will look to professors, they will look to authors, they will look to musicians, they will look to movie stars, they will look to a friend, and they will pursue a friend. They will look to something, and they will base their judgment on, I want to be like you because of the way you dress, the way you act, the way, and they might not know anything except the superficial person in which they're trying to be like. But in so doing, they've lost their identity in who they are, and they've wandered away from their heritage. With the lack of fathers comes a lack of of identity. And in the Bible, the present generation was to receive their identity and pass it down to the next one. That's why you see the God of Abraham was also the God of Isaac, who was also the God of Jacob. You would see the definition, the identity flowed through the family line, not simply some obscure line. And when it failed to do that, they had a wandering generation. That's why whenever we go to the Gospels, you start off with all the begats. Such a person got this person. Who got this person? Who got this person? Because they're lining, they're, they're linking this down. This is who you are. Your identity is not found in your environment. The identity is not found in the people you go to school with. It's not found in the loudest voice of your life. It's not found in the top ten things of wherever society has declared it. Your identity is in where you've come from. Spiritual dad, spiritual mom. Here's the point. Receiving our inheritance depends upon the flow of impartation and blessing from generation to generation in the family of God. About three weeks ago, about four weeks ago, I guess now, somebody sent me a 182-page paper called Renegotiating Faith. I don't know if anybody's read it. Renegotiating Faith. It was a follow-up to a number of years ago, a paper that came out, Canadian paper of a number of great minds who did a lot of stats and study and the paper that came out a number of years ago was called Hemorrhaging Faith. Now, hemorrhage, you think of a hemorrhage bleeding out. And so the hemorrhaging faith was, they were doing a study, why is it so many of the emerging generations falling away from the faith? Choosing not to follow the faith of the generation before them, their parents. And, and like, the numbers are staggering. I'm not even going to mention them because they just depress me. <laughs> I'm not going to mention them. Staggering numbers falling away. So Hemorrhaging Faith was a paper, a major paper put out uh, by a number of uh, profs and, they, and, and, and people who study statistics. And uh, it was interesting. This paper came out just not too long ago, and it was an answer to the first one. It's called Renegotiating Faith, Renegotiating It. And in this particular paper of, of talking about renegotiating faith, uh, and if you're interested in this paper, 
Um, I have an electronic form. I just email the church and we'll send you a copy. You don't have to read all 182 pages unless you want to. It has a six-page summary right at the first that summarizes the whole thing. So you'll be thankful for that. But here's, here's what the conclusion was. You'll be interested in this. What they did is they looked at those that continued to wander from the faith and those that didn't. And they discovered a couple major themes. And you can build on this. I'm just very quickly. One is that those that stayed in the faith, those that stayed in the faith, understood their giftings as a child and were operating in their giftings. So they simply weren't consumers, consume, 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 and people telling them. They actually, somebody in their life invested in them knowing who they were and what their strengths were. And they got them involved in helping others and serving others as a kid, as a kid. So as a child, an 8-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, they weren't simply sitting listening, corralling them, playing with them. They were investing that these were now leading others. These were using whatever they were strong in, and their giftings were varied. You wonder what giftings are? Go to 1 Corinthians 12. And their giftings, they helped them to discover their giftings. We can call it strengths and talents, abilities, and giftings. And they operated in their giftings. They were doing what they were good at. Here's the second thing. That when they left home, went to college, university, or career. When they left home, the same people or people who were influences of their life, could be parents, but not, it doesn't have to be. I'm going to call them disciplers. I'm going to call them spiritual dads and moms. They didn't simply send them off, but they continued to invest that when they went to a college, they contacted the college, they found out who were spiritual leaders and fathers and mothers in the college, in the community, and they introduced them to those people. And those people, if you would, it's like a passing of a baton, began to continue what had been started. And they never lost that. I mean, they never quit doing it over here, the original ones. But they became actively involved in their, in their passing on to their new community. They actually invested in going, seeing, introducing, getting involved. And they carried the gifting, so their giftings moved right on in with them. And they got involved. And they discovered if they didn't get them involved in the first month, typically the, the numbers dropped off. And they would cease to be, they would lose their identity. And um, it's interesting in that. And they also, part of the study is, what, how do the children rebel? How is the children of emerging generation rebelling? What here's their number one way of rebelling. I found this interesting. Not surprising, but interesting. And it's this. Because children are staying in the home longer, even though they might be going off to college and universities and the careers, but often coming back to the home because they can't afford anything else. Um, because that is happening, their means of rebellion is rebellion against the faith of their parents. That's the number one means of rebellion. Uh, they are rebelling against the faith. And they also notice this, and it may not be clear rebellion at first. The parents may not see it. So the kids just quit going to church. The kids just come out once in a while. The kids begin to take on something else, but they, they don't raise the alarm because they don't want to get kicked out of the home and they don't want to be confronted. So, but but they have, their, their independence is declared that I'm independent from your faith. Your faith is not my faith. So to assume they're going to take your faith is not there. A spiritual mom, spiritual dads, you have to invest in their giftings. They live in their giftings. Invest when you pass them on to wherever they're going. 
you invest in that, that they, they continue to operate in their giftings in that new place. And the majority of those stayed true to the faith and grew in kingdom dynamics in their identity in Christ. Isn't that amazing? And, and th- those are the basic evidence of the study. So let me close this off. Spiritual sonship and daughters requires vulnerability. Moms and dads, it starts with us. I'm going to suggest here, if you've been in the faith for a couple of years or longer, you need to be a spiritual mom and dad. You might say, I don't know enough about the faith. That's okay. The fastest way you'll ever grow is being a spiritual mom and dad. When I became a dad, ask me if I was ready. Right? The best way is to say, here wanes our baby. <laughs> right? Change the diapers, feed the baby, make baby happy, and you learn on the job some weak, best way of learning. And if you've been in the faith a couple years or longer, I'm just using a number. It could be, but some people say, well, I've not been to college. I've not, I don't know enough. Uh, yes, you do. Spiritual moms and dads. Spiritual moms and dads. You need to start investing in other lives. You need to invest in, and there's so many areas to, to do this in. I'll, I'll maybe talk of that in a bit. Here's the other thing. We also need spiritual sons and daughters. And some of you are saying, I've, I've never had a spiritual mom and dad. I've never, I, I long, I lack. This is something I, I need. Spiritual mom and dad. Here's, let me show you this. Um, the sign of a covenant, covenant is the key word throughout the Old Testament. The word covenant means cut. And it comes from the covenant established with Abraham. Remember the covenant with Abraham that they proved that they were children of Israel? They had circumcision. It was the cutting of the flesh. So the covenant, the original covenant of the Old Testament was a cutting of the flesh. Covenant means cut. Cut. We see this in Moses' life in chapter 4 of Exodus. Moses, Moses, who was the giver of the law, author of the Torah, prophet like Jesus, did not fulfill his duty as a father to his sons. He had not circumcised his sons. He was 80 years old. He had not circumcised his sons, which he had been told to do. And here's the point. God would invest 80 years in a man, develop him to be the great deliverer of a mass people, but his life almost ended. Because he refused to cut. Because he refused to cut. Listen, there needs to be a turning of the hearts to the order of a father-son ministry. Discipleship. Paul would say this in Acts chapter 16, that he took Timothy. Timothy had a Greek father. Probably he had to walk away from that heritage when he became a follower of Jesus. And Paul took him on, and the first thing he did is he says, we've got we to start with the cutting. We've got to start with... The covenant, the circumcision. And Timothy had, Timothy could have fought him off. Timothy could have said, no, I'm a man, no. But in order to become a son to a spiritual father, he had to submit and become vulnerable to the cutting. You following me? He had to become vulnerable to the cutting. He must allow his father to perform the surgery that was guaranteed to be painful. Follow with me here. Just going to read this. Some sons and daughters... Potential sons and daughters will flinch when they first feel the pain of the flesh being removed from a spiritual mom and dad, and they will run away. I see it all the time. They run from the church. They run from God because somebody's trying to be a mom and a dad, and they don't want to be cut, so they go somewhere else. Bleeding. They feel wounded instead of honored to be a son. They become offended by the attempt of someone, dare they remove my flesh. 
Some will abandon a father's house and accuse their father of abusing them. Abuse that never occurred. And led by the pain of their own wounding, instead of being led by the Spirit, they prove that there is a slanderous departure. That's why they need circumcision. That's why they need a mom and a dad. Not just somebody to bless them and tell them all the good they're doing, but somebody to help them to grow, to be fulfilling in society. Hmm. Sadly, the son will go from one father's house to another father's house. And they'll go from another father's house to another father's house. We call it church hopping. Leaving a trail of blood as they go from one to the other. The son will cry out over his wounding. He will cry out, don't you see I'm wounded? Look at my bad situation. Look what they did to me back there. Until he finds someone who listens to him. Someone who will refuse to cut him. Who will refuse to remove the flesh from him. And he stays anemic in his faith. The son in seeking to escape pain, escapes from purpose and identity in God. In refusing to have his flesh cut off, he is cut off from his potential in the kingdom of God. Hmm. So they run from place to place. You see it. God, raise up, raise up, raise up, oh God. The turning of the hearts, the fathers, it starts to the kids. But our, we got to be vulnerable. Breaks my heart when I hear people say to my youth pastor, well, they just don't fit in. They just don't have anybody to hang with. They just have no friends. But sometimes I look at that and often now, that my youth pastors over the years, and I've had a few, will come back and say, but they don't want to. Every time I try to meet, they fight. They fight. They don't want to be cut. They don't want, they won't say the cut part. They don't want to be led. They want a hero to follow after. They want a buddy. They don't want a dad. They don't want a father. Because a true father is prepared to cut some things that need to go. Because they care enough for the person. Isn't that true? We live in a time that God is turning hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. But we have to rise up. It's not just going to happen. It's a happening by a conscious decision to do it. And I'm going to invite that conscious decision. You might be saying, I need, to be, I need to be nurtured. Then you can't just do it on a Sunday morning. You've got to get involved. You've got to go out. If there's a, if there's a small group meeting, you've got to be a part of that and start coming under a fatherhood and getting involved. You've got to begin to surrender in your own vulnerability to the cutting of the flesh to grow in that. And it's going to cost you. And if you refuse to do it, you'll simply move your trails on through the rest of your life and not develop the next generation yourself. Or, or, it's my call, because I grew up with the father. I grew up in that, and I had to make a decision. Or, I could change the trajectory today in my life. And it's about surrendering to that. Sometimes it's coming out to the meeting. Sometimes it's just getting involved and serving. Our kids, our children, our Sunday school, our, our, our Awanas on Wednesday, our Youth on Thursday, a Wednesday study with adults. It can be starting up of a group of adults who begin to now grow in fatherhood in the area where you're giving and receiving. Oh God, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers or else we are cursed. We are cursed.
Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.